Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the father said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for many years I've been serving you. And I have never neglected a command of yours, yet you have never given me a young goat that I may be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost, and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Last week we began uh, to look at this parable, the story that Jesus told of, of two brothers, and most often, or almost always, the focus of this parable is on this younger brother. And we talked last week about the rebel son, and uh, we talked about that rebellion usually uh, begins with, with alienation that leads to isolation that ultimately gets to desperation. And sin has a downward spiral. 
We talked about how sin will take you farther than you ever intended to go, keep you longer than you intended to stay, and always cost you more than you intended to pay. And it is so easy to apply that thinking to this younger boy. But then we encounter the older son. The older boy, he is um, the one who stays at home. He uh, is the one who dots the I's and crosses the T's. He never left. When the younger son asked for everything, the older boy was willing to stay put. He uh, worked in the fields. He was this kid that parents love to talk about and brag on. He is the reason his dad had, uh, uh, my kid is an honor roll student on the back of his camel, all right? It was the older kid, not the younger boy. He is the quintessential success. And he comes in from the field one day, and this is what he heard. He came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he's surprised. Most likely it's the middle of the week because he's working. Uh, Parties like this don't happen until the end of the week. And they rarely happen throughout the year. Uh, There's no Jewish holiday being celebrated. And so he's surprised. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And there's a tiny little word that changes everything in this story. The little conjunction, but. But he was angry And refused to go in. I love this. We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. His father came out and entreated him. Just to give you a little hint into what's coming on the 21st when we talk about the waiting dad. He ran to the younger son and he went out to the older alike. But notice the response of this older son. Look, he says. It is a phrase of disrespect to a dad. It was then, it is now. Boys don't look at their dads and say, look, dad. No, because dads are presumed to have knowledge and insight. And no boy looks at his dad and says, look, but this older son Uh, looked at his father and he said, look, these many years. What do we discover this morning is the attitude of the older son and the attitude I call self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the thought that there is something that I can do that is good enough to be acceptable to God. That's self-righteousness. A simple definition of self-righteousness is there is something I can do good enough to be acceptable to God. And this boy was self-righteous. 
We know it because he looks at his dad and he says, these many years. Dad, I didn't leave like he left. I didn't go where he went. I didn't do what he did. I've been a good kid. I've come to Sunday school 20 years straight and, and gotten a star on the chart. Uh, I've tithed of 10% of everything I've ever earned in my life. God, can't you see that? I've been good. This works best when we've got somebody not so good to compare ourselves to. If you want to try this out, uh, this self-righteous attitude, and here's what you might want to jot down. Self-righteousness believes the best about yourself. Self-righteousness believes the best about yourself. Uh, He says, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. All right, a couple of things. First of all, the pronoun I, or the variation me, occurs five times in the brother's response. It's all about himself. But the second thing, I want to ask some parents a question in here. Uh, We got parents in the room, and you have different kids, easy kids and hard kids. We all do. Some kids are different than others. We jive with different kids differently. Uh, Whatever the case may be, you and your kids, uh, however good they may be, if you as a parent are in the room and you have children who have never, ever disobeyed you, would you raise your hand? All right. So we got one not telling the truth on the front. All right. All right. So here's what we have. Disobedient. Disobedient. This kid says, hey, I've never, dad, I've never disobeyed you. Never disobeyed you. Here is the problem with that. It surfaced this week in a great meeting I was privileged to have. I was, uh, had an appointment set. I didn't know the gentleman. Turns out I had met him, but had forgotten him. And he was working on a project for college, and he wanted to interview me. And so we sat down this week. He came in for the interview. And unbeknownst to me, before he arrived, he was, uh, 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 before he arrived, I, I had no idea that he was an atheist. And so he began to ask multiple questions about Scripture, and I tried to answer his questions and uh, about everything all over the map. He had questions about everything, and I, I did my best to answer. But one of his that often comes up with people who struggle with, uh, with faith is what he called the contradictions in the Bible. He said, what about all the contradictions in the Bible? I responded to him and said, I want to address what I'm going to call apparent contradictions. Tell me what you're thinking about. He said, for example, Matthew 5. For Jesus says that if you don't keep every jot and tittle of the law, there's really no place for you. And that Jesus himself will go on to 
break some of those laws. What do you make of that? Great question. I turned to Matthew 5, and when I did, I read the passage to him. He was talking about, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And these scribes and Pharisees who are listening are going, this is good stuff, I'm in. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What? Here's a group of guys who've added about 600 additional regulations to the Big Ten and and the law in the Old Testament, and I've got to be more righteous than they are. And so I looked at this man who was sitting across the desk from me, and I said to him, here's what Jesus was doing. So first of all, the three rules of biblical interpretation is context, context, and context. And here's what the guy's doing. Jesus said to his followers, or to his uh, audience right after this, Jesus said, If you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. Guilty as charged. By that definition, adulterer I am. Jesus said, I tell you, do not murder. But if you, with your tongue, slander someone, you have committed murder. Oh, in the heat of the moment, murderer I am. I looked at the man sitting across from me. And I said to him, what Jesus did was to elevate the requirements of the law to include not only behavior, but motive. Not only what I do, but why I do it. Not only what you can see, but what everybody can. And guess what? Nobody can keep that law. We're all guilty. We can come to church. We can sing the songs. We could say all the right stuff. We can look great on the outside. But Jesus said, it's the heart. And I said to the man sitting across from me, what Jesus said was, I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. He set himself up to be the only possible solution to our sin problem. And C.S. Lewis said he's either a liar because he said he was all that, or he's a lunatic because he died for all of that, or he's Lord because he is all that. We don't ride the fence. We can't because of Jesus' own claims. You see, the Pharisees thought pretty well of themselves. 
Self-righteousness believes the best about oneself. But self-righteousness believes the worst about others. How do we know? Well, here's what we discover. But when the son of yours came, what? This is not the son of yours, pal. This is your brother. He refuses to call him brother, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, hold up. He didn't know that. How do we know? He's been in the field working. He doesn't even know why there's a party. He's not talked to his brother. He doesn't know what his brother has done. He has absolutely no clue. Do you know what self-righteous people do? They don't have to know. They can connect the dots. Now, they could be 30 miles apart, but they'll connect them. Oh, they can look at you. They call it the gift of discernment, right? And so I have the gift of discernment. I don't know. I just got this weird feeling. I was just with them and got kind of this strange feeling about that person. I really think I'm right. I think, and all of a sudden, self-righteous people puffed up in their own religiosity so easily can look at somebody else and connect all these little dots. And this self-righteous brother who had been at home all of this time steps in and says, hey, this son of yours who wasted his life who wasted the inheritance with prostitutes. He has no clue if that happened. As a matter of fact, we learned last week that the word to describe what the boy did is reckless. And reckless has no sense of immorality in it, but every sense of wasted money. He wasted money. Perhaps he was sinful. Uh, With prostitutes, we don't know. What we do know is he wasted his inheritance. That's what we know. But self-righteousness thinks the worst about others, doesn't it? Always does. Always. I I figured it out. I've arrived. I'm at this place. You see, there are some of you who walked in here this morning feeling really good about yourself. And you wonder, why should I need God? I I watched the news this week and... I've never raped anyone. I've never murdered anyone. I've never, the list could go on of all you saw in the news. And if that is the case, why do you need God? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 5, you're not that good. Neither am I. No one is. Wow. Wow. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. A couple of things to note about that is a fattened calf means this is a big party. Fattened calf would serve probably 200 people. This is big time. We're celebrating. Except for the older brother. As a matter of fact, he said, These many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Let's check the facts. Go back 
to verse 12. The younger son says, give me my share of the property. And he divided his property between them. Two-thirds of it went to this older son. It was already his. Don't tell your dad. He's never even given you a young goat. He gave you two-thirds of his livelihood. Self-righteousness believes the best about oneself. Self-righteousness believes the worst about others. Here's what's interesting. The younger boy's recklessness kept him from God. The older boy's righteousness kept him from God. What's keeping you from God? Kathy Ireland has a powerful testimony about this very thing. Let's listen in. My room was at the end of a really long, dark hallway, and I later learned from other girls who stayed there before me that they referred to that room as the dungeon. And it was in that dungeon that my life would be forever changed. I don't remember a time that I didn't believe in God. I just always knew that he was there, but I didn't know him, and I didn't know that I didn't know him. As a kid, I would pray at times, but it was usually, it was about me. It was when I needed something. But there was a part of me that was kind of scared of God. The church that I attended as a child, the leader there would, would kind of yell, and I didn't feel his love there. It kind of imposed what this man was doing on what God was all about. When I was a teenager, my mom got saved. And mom was really quiet about her faith in the beginning, but I was noticing this transformation in her, and I liked what I saw. I went off to Paris to start modeling, and it sounds so much more glamorous than it was. I was 18 years old, and I was traveling alone. I was staying in a home where I didn't feel comfortable to the extent that any time I spent in that home, I would basically lock myself in my room. And I later learned from other girls who stayed there before me that they referred to that room as the dungeon. It was the middle of the night and I had jet lag and unbeknownst to me, mom had slipped a Bible in my suitcase. I'd never read a Bible in my life. And it was out of jet lag and boredom and loneliness that I picked it up and I randomly opened up to the Gospel of Matthew. And as I read, my life was forever changed. 
I was a rebellious teenager. I was questioning authority. Who really knows the truth? Who really knows what's right and what's wrong? Who's to say? And I knew that what I was holding in my hands was the truth. I think one of the things that grabbed a hold of me was that Jesus wasn't anything like I thought. He wasn't condemning. He wasn't yelling. He was loving and he was leading. And particularly as a young woman out in the world for the first time, in a world that oftentimes felt dominated by men of questionable character, it gave me such comfort to know that Jesus loves women and honors them. And Jesus Christ became my Lord, my Savior, my best friend. But I regret that I remained such a baby Christian for so long. I would continue to read the Word, but I would just read the same passages over and over. And there were other verses I would come across that I thought, surely it must be a typo or it doesn't pertain to me or some justification. And I believed the lie that it was too complicated or that I didn't need it. Yeah, if you asked me, I was a Christian. He was in my life. I, I loved him. I, I had him. But I was trying to mold God into what I wanted him to be rather than allowing him to mold me into the person he made me to be. One of my sins is the sin of self-reliance, being a control freak. And I think probably one of the most difficult things was giving up that control to God. I was at a, a women's retreat years ago. And as I was praying, I felt the Lord speak to me. He said, you say I'm your first priority, but I'm not. I, I would say that my faith came first and then my family, but I was putting our kids in first position. And anything that comes before God is an idol, even if it's something good. And he said, but Lord, you know what I'm going through. With three kids, different ages, different needs, the business, I just felt so pulled in every direction. And I just said, I, I don't know how. And he said, trust me in this. Put me first and I'll give you more time with your kids. I'll give you better time with your kids. And he is so faithful. He's, um, he's just so faithful. For me, I just started getting up earlier and spending time with him. And it would start out gradually. And then, I mean, now I can't get enough. And he's, he was our perfect father. He made us, he knows us. And by putting him first, it's incredible how he equips us and gives us exactly what we need. When people ask me, what are your goals? My goal in life is to grow closer to Jesus each day, to 
follow his lead for me, to stay on his path, to be obedient, and it's, it's just day by day. My name is Kathy Ireland, and I'm second.